Welcome to the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm your host, Dave Quedall. Thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Our special guest this episode is St. Mary's football coach, Ken Turner. Coach Turner was nice enough to talk about what it was like making the transition to St. Mary's after a long, successful stint at Altoff in Belleville. We're also going to check in with our intrepid reporters who are out covering ball games as classes one through five got their quarterfinal action on, and in class six, it was the semifinals. Joe Harris will bring us up to date at what happened at Fox and DeSmet tonight, as one of those teams will be going on to play in the state championship. Paul Halfacre was down in Columbia watching Fort Zumwalt North and Battle reignite their rivalry with everything on the line. Ben Vesa was out watching Festus and Union in a Class 4 showdown, and Steve Overby managed to figure out how to get on the podcast on his flip phone to talk about Jefferson and Duchenne in a Class 2 quarterfinal matchup. All that and more here on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm now joined by Ken Turner, who just wrapped up his first season as the head football coach over at St. Mary's. He was at Altoff for 19 years on staff and the last 12 as the head coach. While with the Crusaders, they made two state championship games and qualified for the playoffs, I, I think, seven straight years, something like that. It was a bunch. Ken, thanks for joining the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So what was the, I mean, transitioning from one program to another is never easy. Throw on the, the, the COVID complications. What was it like just trying to get to know a new team and a, and a new state and new opponents and all the, the new things that come with, with making that kind of change? Well, it was just, um, I don't want to say difficult. It was just different. And that's a better way of saying it because, um, because of COVID and everything and, trying to adjust without meeting parents, without, you know, meeting a team a lot and being able to talk to them. I was, you know, we had started to have Zooming, Zoom meetings and um, never really had to have a, was able to have a good parent meeting face-to-face. And so that's where you can sell yourself to, um, to the parents. You know, the kids play football for you, but you want your parents to understand that their, their kids going to be in good hands. And so um, that part was a little bit, strange but um as far as everything else and the football aspect of it it wasn't that difficult it was just adjusting to what everyone else had to adjust to as far as the COVID rules and you know how many people you can have and what you're able to do and that part we were all new on it so um that part really wasn't that difficult it was just an adjusting period so you got hired in the spring so was that before or after the 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 coronavirus pandemic really kind of got rolling? I can't remember. It was right before, right before. So was there plans to do an introduction introduction in the parent meeting and all of that, or had it not even gotten to that point? No, it, I had just, you know, had it scheduled and got all the emails and um, was able to actually have it scheduled, to be honest with you. And then it had to change within the next week and so on. Um, just start doing things the best way we could as far as um, Zoom meetings and, you know, meeting who I can meet and talking with mostly the kids and, you know, letting them know, you know, what the program was going to be about and, you know, what I was about. But no, it was about a week after and then I had to cancel. Man. And a big part of being a coach is the relationships you build and it's a, a lot easier to do that in person. How do you try to build relationships with the players when you're talking over a computer screen? Yeah. And, um, had it not been a situation that probably every coach 
in the nation was going through, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I probably would have some um, some difficulties talking about it. But um, I would just I would see them. The hard part was about when, you know, we had about 70, 80 kids yep. and, um, you know, you had to break them down in different groups and I took them in different classes and um, getting them on. Um, the first time was was a little tough because you know as a new coach, as a new guy, you know if I if I can invite them all in and be there in person and we talk, it's a little easier. But um, send them Zoom, Zoom, Zoom emails and and trying to get them all to come in and get them all to buy in. You know it was um that part was a little bit difficult. But um I went straight to Kevin Coleman. Be honest with you, and um he was the first person that that I had a long talks with, and um you know. That's that's that was that's the guy, and so I wanted him to understand what I was bringing to St. Mary's and um, the changes and everything I wanted to instill in St. Mary's football program because I wanted to become, you know, what we believe in and what you know what I was bringing over to St. Mary's, and so, you know, man, the more and more me and him talk, he started to understand, and so he was able to get a lot of guys to come on into those Zoom meetings, and you know, he was actually like. Uh, a big help, you know, I would, he would help me get the numbers. He helped me a lot of emails and um, he would stay on those guys. And so we started to having study sessions and we started to having a little bit of everything and it started to roll from that point. And Kevin Coleman, for those who don't know, is the ultra talented junior wide receiver who plays at St. Mary's. He's one of the top rated prospects at his position in the country. His list of division one offers won't fit on his prospect page it's so big so yeah he's a big piece to have to reach out and try to connect with early on because where he goes like you said i'm sure a lot of other the other dragons would want to see what's going on and what just just to segue quickly to young mr coleman since you brought him up how special is he from what you've seen of him you've been around a lot of talented uh players in your your careers all tough you had a really good group including a current st louis u senior jordan goodwin who mm-hmm. who came out and played two years of football uh, for the crusaders but I'm, I'm curious where does young mr coleman rank among the group you've you've had in your time as a coach well this is kind of strange that someone asked me you know a couple of weeks ago who would I compare him to as far as that I've coached over at Altoff? And, um, and I told him, I, I didn't think it was one person. And, um, yeah. you know, he's, he's so talented that um, I compared him running the ball to actually Jalen Bester. And, you know, and um, his receiving ability and defensive back ability, he reminded me of C.J. Colden. So, um, wow. you know, and he's, he's kind of like a combination of those two guys. And, um, you know, actually, you know, that equals a pretty special football player. And so, um, you know, it's not one person. It would be a combination of those two. And, um, you know, he's gifted and um, he's a very hard worker, though. And, you know, he outworks everyone and, you know, he's not afraid to work. And so that's that's his biggest attribute. And so um, if you're good and, and, and you're willing to work harder than anyone else, then, you know, obviously you you should be receiving all the accolades that he does receive because, you know, he works for it. And for those who don't know, Colden went on to play at the, is at the University of Wyoming mm-hmm. currently, and, and Bester, Miami of Ohio, do I have that right? Right. Mm-hmm. So so two D1 talents that you, you see both of their talents in him. That's pretty special. So, But that has to make you excited when you come into a situation like you did. Coach Corey Bethany took an assistant coaching position at Lindenwood. He had kind of started to lay the foundation for St. Mary's uh, 
resurgence. Last year, they went to the Class 4 semifinals. So what's it like kind of walking into a situation where, you know, you have this foundation in place, you have a group that's that's still relatively young, a significant number of underclassmen in the program. Right. What, what is it like kind of adjusting what they know to what you and your staff want to do? I'd imagine that was... That, that was quite a process trying to to blend those two together. How do you kind of make it work? And that is that's, you know, it's not difficult, but it's, you know, when when a team has success and um, they're coming, a lot of guys coming back, you know, the, the, obviously they want to continue their success and they want to, you know, move further. But as a coach, I got a, a plan of what my program is that I want to instill in these guys, because obviously, you know, you, you know, when you're a head coach, you feel like your program and your ways and, you know, your discipline and everything that you bring will make your team as good as you want to be. So, um, you know, I, I just, I just watched a lot of film and I saw in ways that I felt that they can be even better. And, um, so those are the things that I want to work on from start. And so, um, you know, getting them to understand that they're in good hands was the biggest thing. And it didn't take that long once they start to meet me and understand what we were trying to, you know, get them to do. They they bought in real quick. And so um, when Coach Polly came in w- with me and um, we had already worked together at Altoff. And so once they saw what he was bringing and what we both were bringing to the table, it didn't it didn't take the guys long to buy in. And so um, we just had to let them know that it has to be done how we want it to be done regardless of the failures or success that you've had the year before and on years before that, because we wanted to work our way because we believe that our way will work for us and for everybody else. And so um, it didn't take long. They're good guys. They're, they're, they're um, talented kids. They're smart kids and they, and um, they work hard. And so they understand what we're putting in and it was really starting to hit stride. It really was. And is you know, it's unfortunate what happened. Well, as as you mentioned, uh, the Dragons were were forced to forfeit their quarter or their district championship game last Friday due to COVID nineteen. They were unable to make the trip to Kennett to play that game. Kennett is going to play Cardinal Ritter on uh, Saturday. The winner of that game moves to the semifinals, and we'll see the winner of the Lutheran North Blair Oaks game. It would have been incredibly fun for St. Mary's and Cardinal Ritter to meet this weekend should things have gone that way because those two teams who've kind of kind of become rivals the last couple of seasons have both have been pretty good at football so it was unfortunate the Dragons had to wait a long time to just take the field at one point St. Mary's due to the coronavirus restrictions in St. Louis City opted into the spring football season offered by the Missouri State High School Activities Association when the city decided to lift restrictions. St. Mary's asked and was granted to return to the fall season. What was it like riding that roller coaster, man? Because one day you're trying to prepare for fall, then you're thinking ahead to spring, and then you're back in fall mode. What was was it like adjusting on the fly? Um, You kind of got used to it, but... With what happened, you know, with us um, having an outbreak and, you know, having to forfeit against Kennett, when you look back at everything and how we almost thought that we weren't even play this fall, and we, you know, it was strong that we felt that way. And, um, you know, you're waiting to the spring, but you didn't know what was going to happen in the spring. And so um, going on that roller coaster, it kind of makes you appreciate the fact, even if we just play one game, mm. 
we got a chance to play. And, and you know, because at the beginning, we just we just wanted to play, whether it was one game or not. So we, we got an opportunity. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's tough. It's tough for my seniors. And it's tough for um, the guys that work so hard that it had to end that way. But had you asked us maybe the beginning of August if we would play this fall, and it probably would have been like 99% of us that said, no, we're not going to play in the fall. We're going to hope to play in the spring. So um, going up and down, you know, going from practicing a week to practicing with 10 people to practicing with 20 people, going back to 10 people, then only two days, then you're going to finish out practice and so you can get ready to play in the spring. Then you're hearing the rumblings that you might have a chance to play. Then it's getting shot down the next week. So, um, you know, it's, it's you, you tribute the guys because, you know, as, as an adult, I feel like, you know, our coaches, we should, we're, we're able to go through it. And, um, and we, we're here to adjust and be there for our kids. But our kids going through it, you know, it was, it was, it was tough on them because they want to play, especially those seniors. And um, they want to play and they, and they want to work hard. They work hard. So they came in. My, our guys never took days off. And that, and, and um, I'm proud of that. You know, even when we went to two days a week and we were going um, to pray in the spring, they worked so hard in those two days. And um, we would talk about Friday and we would, we would take those two days. I think we were Monday and we went Thursdays. And Friday, we would, we would all go home and we'd go watch football games. We watch the high school games and, you know, and, and just see, you know, what we're up against this year by, you know, taking mental notes. And they all bought into that. They all watch football. They all would talk. We would talk about it the next, the next week. And so um, it was tough, but I mean, they were, they were really adults about the situation. And um, I'm proud of them for that. That's a lot to ask a high school, high school kid, especially. And it, so much of a role of a coach is having guidance and answers for the young the young people who come to you, boys and girls, and mm-hmm. you try to help them make the best decision. What's it like kind of being in this position we're in now as a society where answers are hard to find and they can change from day to day? What do you just try to do to offer some sense of, not necessarily solace, but um, peace or calm or, you know, it'll be okay at the end of the day because everything changes, like you said, from day to day. Right. And so what it is, is I try to, um, and that's with anything. And I learned a long time ago as a young coach that, you know, you got to be even kill. You know, I, I can't be too high. I can't be too low. I can't be frustrated. I can't be overjoyous over everything that's going on, regardless if it's football or, or with COVID. So, um, cause they're looking at us and they're looking at us to lead them. And so, um, you know, I can't show, the different types of emotions because it's going to affect them. So um, just try to stay even killed and try to do everything that everyone was telling us to do from the doctors to the school. And um, by the way, our school has done a tremendous job with um, the COVID and our kids being in school and, and they've done a tremendous job. And so, um, so we, we try to just do what we're told to do and what we're asked to do and do it to the best of our abilities. And, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to play some games. Well, I mean, you didn't get to play many, but the ones mm-hmm. you did play were – you had a pretty remarkable uh, miniature schedule, if you will. You open yes. up with St. Louis U High, 
who you guys uh, defeated, play a really tough opponent, Lutheran North, at their place. That's a that's the closest game Lutheran North has played, albeit they did win. You find a you, you find a way to rally against Trinity to close out the regular season, and then to make the district final, you had to go to Valley Catholic, perennial pow- class one powerhouse, who got bumped up due to the championship factor. Uh, mm-hmm. that the Missouri State High, High School Activities Association put in place this year. So what was it like? Not only did you get to play a couple of games, but playing some of the premier programs in the state. <laughs> well, I felt like um, new new coach over Missouri. I got through into it real quick. But you know what? <laughs> hey, and you know me. You've been around me for, I, you know, I love big football games. And um, I want our kids to always have the right mindset and the mentality to play big football games because a lot, a lot of people don't understand a big football game. You know, a lot of people say it's a big football game, but do, how do you attack a big football game mentally? And so, um, I, I feel like we're, we're, um, we were, we were improving our mental state. You know, we know we got physical talent, but our mental state, as far as playing a big name school, playing big name teams and understanding that, you know, it's the course of the football game. You know, it's, it's all a football game, no matter who you're playing and understanding what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to act and how disciplined you need to be when you're playing those teams. And so um, I, I feel like the halftime of the Trinity game was if it would have been, you know, if we would have continued to play and things would have went well, the turning point of of my guys understanding, you know, the mental the mental part mm-hmm. of playing big games and so on. Um, from that point on, you know, the first half was really, it was a flux for us. And, you know, we, um, we didn't play well that first half. And so, um, but from that second half, and especially offensively and our, our young quarterback, you know, we went on a total, I think it's been since Valley Catholics, 15 straight drives that, that our starting offense scored on straight wow. in, the, in each game. And so they finally, I, I was starting to see what I, I wanted to see early on, and um, but I, I had to understand that you know we were in week seven when we started our season. Yep. And so um, but now After that they're going back and forth with right. some practices and no practices. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. Yes. And so um, you know they they finally they 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 start to click and the confidence was 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 so high because they understood what we all wanted them to understand what we all were trying to get across to them coaching our way and our systems. And so, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a great thing. And, and, um, you know, and, you know, it's a lot of young guys, you know, obviously you could take it for it the next year, but I really would have liked to see, um, how they could have finished, but I am thankful that we were able to play at least one football game. So the dragons are not eligible to play in the spring now after playing in postseason. Do I have that right? Right. Yeah, I thought that's the some of the parameters the state association laid down was if you participate in postseason, even if you didn't play the maximum number of weeks and or games, that you were ineligible, ineligible, I should say, to uh, to do spring ball. So, and you, how did you feel about spring ball? That's uh, that's a topic some people have kind of have differing opinions on some folks are like well it's better than nothing some folks are like it'll be just like spring ball in texas how did you feel about spring ball well i really want it because like you know we had this very competitive schedule and 
we had the opportunity to play in the in the playoffs. I wanted to be able to play a lot of the, like the teams we played if it would have been the spring. Now, had everyone, you know, all the other teams moved to the spring, then, you know, I would have felt very comfortable and, and would have been looked forward to the spring. But had it just would have been us and um, the St. Louis City schools and the and that's it and a couple of counties that, that's going to spring. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd rather play in the fall because I, I, I want our guys to play, you know, a very competitive schedule because we had set up a competitive schedule. So um, if it was the only thing that was given to us, I would have obviously enjoyed playing in the spring, but having a choice, I, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to play in the fall. So you, you were in Illinois a long time, still no people over on the other side of the river. We mm-hmm. sometimes over on the side of the river, we act like Illinois doesn't exist, but it does. <laughs> I've been there, I promise. So I, what have you had conversations with folks in Illinois? Because the IHSA, at the end of July, moved football season to the spring. Mm-hmm. So there has been no football in Illinois. And I'm curious what you've heard from your, your, your people over there. I mean, I, I'd imagine there's a lot of frustration uh, yes. at watching Indiana, Michigan, and Missouri, everybody who's near them, uh, forge ahead while they remain sidelined. Yeah, and um, one, like like there are a lot of guys are upset, and um, but I think they understand, and you know at, at least it's everyone that's moved to the spring, hmm. and so um, you know, so the, the entire IHSA, the out the whole state is moved to the spring, and so they will have everyone playing in the spring. Now you know I feel like that's I feel like the two situations are a little bit different because we would have had like half and half or some and some. Well. They they will have everyone. So when they when they have a postseason in the spring, whatever it may be, it's a true postseason because everybody's there. Mm. So um, but now they're 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 all upset, you know, because they're seeing people play. You know, every time it's no different than um those first six weeks on those Friday nights, we're looking at we're looking at teams play. And um, you know, it was frustrating because you want to play. And they're seeing that and they want to play. And um, you know, a lot of them, <laughs> a couple of my coaches that used to coach with me they watch my games they, they look forward to watching my games and um we talk about my games you know after we played and so um it's just I think it's more frustrating because of the situations of waiting and watching someone else play and also some of the some of the schools that has that has the good players the the d1 type of kids well now those kids got to make a decision and that's tough on a lot of people because you know those those kids need to, they they want to go to their colleges in the spring, and you kind of can't blame them because you know they want to get a jump start on you know their college schools, and so that can be an issue for certain schools. But um, outside of that, I think for the most part, they just deal they're dealing with the situation and just waiting till the spring to get started. I mean, Tyler Macon is probably the most well-known in that situation. The star quarterback mm-hmm. at East St. Louis has announced he's going to uh, enroll at Mizzou early. He's going to graduate from Eastside in January, so he's not going to play his senior season. I know, talking to the DeSmet coaches, that that was something they were talking about with their senior guys who were going to play at the next level, that if they did play spring ball this year, that it they they weren't expecting those young men to play. They they right. were, you know. I mean, that's a tough ask to play spring football and turn around and jump into a, a summer conditioning and pr- uh, college preparedness program at the next level. It's very so, tough. 
So what is what does your future look like uh, in the off season with the Dragons? Uh, every, you know, we're currently in a world where Thanksgiving is is a a hot topic as to travel, and the, mm-hmm. the virus is is not necessarily in a place where everybody feels comfortable doing things anywhere close to normal. What have you guys kind of tried to hash out as far as getting weight workouts or other activities? What does your off season look like as you head into it with the Dragons? Um, well, you know, the great thing about our school is we have um, we have weightlifting classes that our most of our guys are in. So, um, you know, obviously the other guys go play, you know, their winter sports, you know, if they're fortunate. And so um, then um, we'll, we'll start – we'll start hitting the weights and we'll start getting on our schedule of hitting the weights and, you know, the guys outside of the guys and um, that have the weightlifting class. And, you know, then we'll start speed things. And then hopefully in the spring, we'll get the track. And then, um, you know, we'll just, you know, do our normal thing that I, that I had over at Altoff. You know, we'll, we'll just do it over here. You know, we have our workout days and we'll give it about two or three weeks to let these guys, you know, um, you know, calm down a little bit and, you know, and go get through everything that they've been going through mentally as far as being hurt and, 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 and understanding what's going on. And then, um, we'll get our schedule in and we'll start, we'll start lifting weights and, you know, we'll get our strength guy, coach Minner, and, and then we'll get it started. Wonderful. Ken Turner, St. Mary's head football coach, thank you so much for joining us on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Podcast. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Thanks again to St. Mary's coach Ken Turner for joining the show. Up next, Paul Kotz is going to run through the scoreboard and highlight performances on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Scoreboard. And now, Paul Kopsky. All right, thank you, Dave. In a Class 6 state semifinal, defending champ DeSmet blanks Fox by a score of 13 to nothing. DeSmet coach Robert Steeples knew the Spartans were in for a battle. Yeah, I mean, everybody keeps saying, you know, when you play tight games, like, um, they really gave you a battle. And it's like, that's what they expected. That's what we expect from that. You know, like, there's a reason they made it to this point in the season. And so, they, yeah, we expect nothing other from them to fight because we were not the end of it. Both of us won it. Both of us were good enough to be there. So um, the fight was not surprising, um, but we just executed when we needed to. Um, you know, stayed the course when they ripped off big plays on us. And, uh, um, you know, we really grinded it out. In state quarterfinal action, it was Jefferson advancing with a 24-6 to win over Duchenne. Colby Ott with a pair of TD runs for head coach Alex Rugley. Yeah, it was a complete ball control game. Uh, I just saw that we had the ball for 33 minutes, 14 seconds on the offense, uh, offensive side. So, that means they had the ball for about 14 minutes, 46 seconds, uh, roughly, on the uh, offensive side. So, anytime you control the ball like we did tonight uh, and, and, get, and your defense plays extremely sound like we did tonight, exercise uh, a big play at the very end of the game, uh, good things can happen. And our kids executed our game plan that we set forth for them all week. They trusted it, and, uh, you know, we came out victory. Elsewhere, Union advances to the semifinals with a 34-25 win over Festus. Gavin Winker, five TD runs for Union. Head coach Justin Grawl on the keys to the win. You know, in a playoff game like this with two good teams, it's always going to come down to who can control the line of scrimmage. Um, our offensive line had, by far, their best game of the year. Uh, defensive line was able to get pressure. Um, I felt like we were able to control, especially in the second half, the trenches and 
you know, when you're able to do that, that opens up a lot of things and it, and it allows you to play, play your best football. Fort Zumwalt North advances with a big win over battle by a score of 35 to 14. Chris Futrell, three TD runs for the Panthers, who avenged a 60 to 43 loss to battle back in August. Coach Joe Bacon talks about the difference between the two games. The two biggest factors, we were in much better physical shape, and, uh, and everybody did their job very, very well. And so we didn't do any big changes to our scheme or anything like that. Uh, but just being focused and being on top of what they're supposed to be doing, really one of the biggest keys to the game for us. Chaminade falls tonight to Jackson, 63-22. to Amar Johnson, 156 yards rushing and a TD for Chaminade in a losing cause. Elsewhere around the state, Webb City defeats Lebanon, 42-14. to It was Platte County, 31, Grain Valley, 28. Elias over West Plains, 36-30. to Smithville shuts out KC Grandview, 38 to nothing, And KC St. Pius X. Downs Butler, 14 to 6. And Dave, that's a look at the scoreboard. Thanks so much to Paul Kopsky for bringing us all the scores and highlight performances and chasing down audio of Coach Steeples, Coach Grawl, and Coach Bacon. Thanks to those three gentlemen as well. We appreciate you calling in. Up next, we're going to check in with our intrepid reporters who are out covering games. As always, you can read their great content at stlhighschoolsports.com and in your Saturday St. Louis Post-Dispatch. We're going to go in reverse order here with Class 2 up first with Deshen and Jefferson, Class 4 with Festus and Union, Class 5 with Fort Zumwalt North in battle, and we'll wrap up the show with Joe Harris talking Class 6 with Fox and Smith. I'm now joined by Steve Overby, who was out in St. Charles checking out Duchenne and Jefferson in a Class 2 quarterfinal. What happened out at your game tonight, Steve? Uh, Dave Jefferson looked really good. They marched to a 24-6 lead, to 24-6 win, and they really just dominated the game from start to finish in the uh, in the trenches. They they controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, they rushed for 280 yards on 62 rushes, and that's all their offensive plays. They didn't pass. 62 running plays, no passes. They had drives of 63, 64, and 83 yard marches. The uh, 83 yard one took up almost 11 minutes. Wow. They ate up almost a whole quarter on one drive? Yep, they're actually their time of possession was 33 minutes and 14 seconds they held the ball. So that was almost uh, more than two-thirds of the time. They were just running the football right at them and couldn't stop them. That's amazing. Now, Deshen has shown a propensity to be able to score. Uh, they do have a young team, but they, they put up over 40 points in their district quarterfinal win over O'Fallon Christian or their district semifinal, I should say. I mean, that's a group who has been known to put some points up. What was the Jefferson defense doing to keep the Pioneers off balance? Actually, Deshen hurt itself. They had like nine penalties, and they turned the ball over on their opening drive. They kind of stopped themselves a lot. But the Jefferson defense is very, very good. They're fundamentally sound, got a lot of two-way players, and uh, they make tackles, and they don't make mistakes. That's the key. They... uh, the defense was led by Colby Ott, who was also a running back. He had nine tackles and forced a fumble. And uh, they just they just smothered him. Deshaun had, had not been held to under 13 points all season long. I think they racked up 64 and 49 in one game. But they were totally shut out. This was a, a dominant effort, effort by Jefferson from start to finish. Very impressive, especially for a team that won its first district championship last week. I mean, that's a group that 
that hasn't been here before, and obviously Duchenne's a young team, but their coach, Charlie Elmendorf's a, a Duchenne grad. He was part of their successful team as a as a player. He he's been their longtime coach. What was it? What did he have to say after the game about this? You know, I've known Charlie for a long time, and he was in total shock. I mean, this came as a major surprise to him. I think uh, the Duchenne people, especially after their win over Lutheran St. Charles, their revenge win to, to capture the district title, I think they came in here thinking they were going to win this, and uh, he was just totally surprised. I mean, uh, this could have been a lot worse. I mean, uh, you know, they just uh, they just took it to him. Uh, senior running back Dylan Schnitzer led the offensive attack. He rushed for 172 yards on 33 carries. Mm. And the Colby Ott kid, he uh, had 61 yards rushing and two short touchdown runs. So they were uh, they were impressive, and they really don't. Uh, you know, I think they're playing on house money, and they not sure they realize what they got coming up with either Lamar or Mountain View. But uh, you know, you can't stop a team that holds the ball for 33 minutes. That's hard. Well, it certainly puts a lot of pressure on your offense to make something happen, knowing that their chances are going to be few and far between. I wonder if, if the young guys on the Duchenne side, if that played into it, that the, the pressure just continued to mount, that they didn't just get to have the ball. Yeah, I think it was 14 nothing at half. And on its first possession of the second half, Jefferson, that was the 83-yard drive. It stretched into the fourth quarter. I mean, they, they had Duchenne had three plays coming out of the half, and that was it. Midway through the fourth quarter, they had run only three offensive plays. So, it, so you can't score if you don't have the ball, I think, was more of the, uh, more of the theory tonight. And that's what Coach Alex Redley said. You know, that's, that's our, our modus operandi. We keep it on the ground. We like seven- to eight-minute drives, and that's how we survive. Fascinating. So Duchenne comes out with the ball to start the third quarter, three and out, and then doesn't touch it again until midway through the fourth? That is correct. Till 9-11 left in the fourth quarter. Then they finally got the ball, and by then it was 21 nothing, and they, you just can't make up those points that quick. Especially against a team, like, like you said, Jefferson, that's not going to give the ball back. Um, incredible work by the Blue Jays to continue to march on. Whoever they see next next round, be it Lamar or Mountain View Liberty, w- will be a tough opponent. But like you said, they're just happy to be here, and who knows? Maybe something good happens. Yeah, I think right. they're kind of going in this, uh, like you said, kind of uh, you know oblivious to how good Lamar is or even what Mountain Grove can put up. I believe if Lamar wins, uh, they have to go down there. If Mountain Grove wins, Jefferson gets to host. But, uh, you know, they're flying high and got plenty of confidence, so we'll just see what happens. Wonderful. Well, Steve Overby, thank you so much for giving us a call on the podcast. We appreciate it. No, appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Dave. I'm now joined by Ben Vessa, who is out in Franklin County watching Festus and Union in a Class 4 quarterfinal. What was happening out at Union tonight, Ben? Yeah, it was It was a good one. A lot of it explosive plays tonight uh, uh but it was the gavin winker show he uh 18 carries 105 yards and five touchdowns uh and union prevails 34 25 in a pretty uh pretty entertaining uh game here at union high school and i have to admit that festus was the number three team in class four in Missouri. This comes as a bit of a surprise. I know Union's record wasn't necessarily as pretty as Festus's. Uh, the Tigers had lost just once into a really good Farmington team and a tight one, I think about week seven, maybe week eight. Um, but Union had to miss the last two weeks of the regular season due to quarantines and coronavirus-related things like that have 
come back with a vengeance, rolling through a district that included a district championship game win over John Burroughs, and now they go out and beat a really good Festus squad. What what was the group at Union feeling like tonight? I'd imagine they were pretty excited. Yeah, they they were excited. You know, they uh, they mentioned that. I mean, they were three and four at one point uh, in the season. They did that quarantine, and uh, they said they came back and, and they just have a new level of uh, of trust with one another. They run this they they run this kind of hurry up speed. Uh, you know, where they run plays pretty quickly, and I, I think it caught Festus off guard a little bit. And um, so, you know, they scored on their first uh, on their first two possessions. Uh, Union did uh, a, a Winker three yard run of two long drives. I mean, twelve a twelve play drive to start. It only took three minutes off the clock. They run plays uh, so quickly. I think it, it, it you know that speed kind of caught Festus off guard. Uh, Fest is a little nervous at first. Uh, their first possession, uh, they had 10 plays in it, but three dropped passes, including one on fourth down. They kind of ended that drive. Uh, and then uh, Union went right back down and, and scored and made it 13-0 uh, really quickly. Uh, but Festus, a, 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 a kickoff return, kind of got them started. Uh, Case Martin with a 95-yard kickoff return um, to make it 13-7. Uh, and then it, it was uh, it was twenty to seven, and they ran the old fumble ruski on a fourth down. And Case Martin, uh, you know, Rickerman kind of puts the ball on the ground, and there's three players going different directions, uh, pretending they have the ball. And Case Martin scoops it up from the ground and goes around left end for twenty yards to make it twenty to thirteen at the half. Kind of gave Festus momentum. They come out in the second half and get a, uh, a score on their first drive. Again, Caden uh, Glaze scores. They missed the extra point, so they're still down one, 20 uh, to 19. But after that, really the Union defense kind of stuffed them. The next 15 plays that Festus ran, they only managed 32 yards during it. And then the Union offense uh, started, uh, you know, punching in, uh, putting, putting uh, some drives together. Uh, both of them punched in by Winker. Again, a four-yard run. Uh, and then a one-yard run to kind of uh, to ice the game. Uh, they also had a guy, they had an injury in their backfield, and a guy named Cameron Creedy came in in the fourth, didn't touch the ball in the first three quarters, came in, had seven carries for 47 yards down the stretch, uh, and Union just kind of uh, uh, prevailed there uh, with good defense and, uh, and a good running game at the end and won 34-25. Well, Coach... Well, I talked to Paul Kopsky earlier today and when he had our scoreboard earlier in the show, and he had mentioned that they really dominated up front on both sides of the ball. It sounds like that's exactly what they were able to do if they're, they're bringing fresh bodies off the, off the bench in the fourth quarter, rushing for 40-some-odd yards. Yeah. Yeah, they had a um, – you know, they, they ran for a, a, about 120 yards just in the fourth quarter alone, uh, and they, they put up uh, – they put up some big drives there at the end of a 13 play 75 yard drive uh, when it was 20 to 19 to make it 27, 19 and then nine play 63 yard drive. Uh, most of it on the ground. They did hit one uh, 26 yard uh, slant pass. Um, their sophomore quarterback, Liam Hughes hit Donovan Rutledge to put him down at the, at the two yard line there for that last touchdown. Um, Festus did, uh, come down and score really late in the game 
uh, to make it 34 25 uh, but they were having extra point problems all day so they went for two at that point uh, and when they didn't get the two-point conversion it was nine point uh, nine point lead there with only about a minute and a half to go and uh, and that was it it's a pretty remarkable season for Festus. The Tigers won their, their first seven games for the first time in, in a long time. But then it, it came to light that Austin Anderson, their, their star running back, was going to be unavailable the rest of the season. He had some criminal charges um, come to light uh, in, in October, and he was unavailable. So that's a big piece of their, their team that they were missing. Now, Cole Rickerman has been remarkable in, in a lot of ways for the Tigers. I think he rewrote their passing record book. He was through for over 2,000 yards. He, I think he was close to 26 or 27 touchdowns. I mean, he was absolutely spectacular and gave a lot of credit earlier in the season to Coach A.J. Ofadale, their first-year skipper who, who joined the team uh, in January after a, a being part of Barry Odom's staff at Mizzou for a couple of years and a, and a very long, successful run at Rockbridge before that. So the future is bright for Festus, um, unfortunately, their, their season comes to an end uh, in the quarterfinal round. First time they've been there in a minute. As for Union, they get to move on, and they get to face the winner of MICDS and Hannibal. Anybody at Union looking ahead, or is everybody just savoring tonight? Yeah, they were just savoring tonight. No one mentioned anything about uh, uh, looking ahead. They, they're just excited to go to practice again on Monday and uh, with a chance to, uh, to make it to a state championship. You know, and that's um, all smiles there on the on the union side, and um, you know they they played well. And 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 Festus, you know, to their credit, uh, they are sh- certainly shorthanded there in the backfield. But they've had, um, I think, they had ten players score a rushing touchdown for them. I think they have eight eight kids now with over a hundred yards rushing on the season. So it kind of they they took kind of a committee approach to that. Uh, the, the big runner today was Caden Glaze, who had 14 carries for 79 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Rickerman was just 14 of 30 for 180 yards. They they uh, they missed on some passes that uh, uh, some big plays that, that kind of overshot a few receivers. There were there were a few drops in there as well. So they weren't as sharp. I mean, I saw them play Sullivan earlier this year. They were really sharp uh, offensively and defensively. They just weren't as sharp tonight. It wasn't. It wasn't their best night, and unfortunately, if it's not your best night at this time of year, uh, it usually means it's, it's the last night. Ben Vesa, thank you so much for checking in on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. We appreciate it. Uh, you got it, Dave. Thank you. I'm now joined by Paul Halfacre, who was down in Columbia watching Fort Zumwalt North in battle renew their rivalry, which has been pretty intense the last six, seven years. Paul, what was happening down in Como? Well, aside from the rain, a lot of running from Fort Zumwalt North. They tend to do that, and it's a lot easier to run in the rain than throw it. So mm-hmm. who who came out victorious in this rivalry matchup, my man? Well, Fort Zumwalt North came out on top, uh, 35 to 14. Uh, this is the first time in four tries that Fort Zumwalt North has actually been able to you know, battle and, and get a victory. They've been down there a couple of times in the playoffs, haven't found a way to win there. Lost week one there, gave up 63 Mm -hmm. points in the process. Coach Bacon was on with Paul Kopsky earlier during the scoreboard and had mentioned that a lot of things were different between then and now, especially them being physically fitter. What were they talking about after the game that made a huge difference for the Panthers? 
Uh, defensively, I talked to their defensive end, Chris Futrell, and he talked about how the the coaching staff came up with a great scheme on defense, and they limited battle to just 215 yards of offense, and 100, 180 of it came from that uh, junior running back for battle, uh, Jerry Martin Jr. Yeah, Jerry Martin really burned them earlier in the season with kickoff returns. I want to say he took three to the house on them in that week one matchup. Was that, was that I, I, a point of emphasis as well? He w- actually was not returning any kicks, and any kicks that were uh, kicked off by Fort Zumwalt North were pooch kicks. Now, Jack Newcomb is the quarterback for the Panthers. I mean, that's a group that likes to you know, to run the ball heavily, but he's also been known to throw it. Did he pass it at all, or did he show off those wheels? He didn't really need to pass it. Uh, he showed off those wheels. I, I had him for with 20 carries for 202 yards of off, 202 yards on the ground and one touchdown. That's a lot of running, man. So what was really working up front for Zumwalt North? <clears throat> that offensive line was creating a lot of holes, and, and Jack just took advantage of it. And he wasn't the only one. Uh, they ran... Uh, they ran the ball 54 times for 442 yards on the ground. That's a pretty good way to spend an evening if you're an old lineman plowing that. Wow. Yeah. So the Zumwalt North makes it into the Class 5 semifinals. Going to host Jackson next week, I believe. I think that's how the bracket Correct. shakes out. Jackson will come to, to the north side for their... Uh, to, to put a, a trip to the state championship game on the line. Is, is that what you have too? Yep. That is, yep. That is what I've been told was that actually they will host on Friday, Friday. I, I don't believe it's Friday night, but it will be Friday for Jamal North will host Jackson. Interesting. I know they like to, if there's a lot of travel that, you know, you can play on Saturday once we get this late in the playoffs, especially with teams crisscross in the state, Jackson obviously mm-hmm. has made the trip, I mean, shoot, Jackson went up to O'Fallon to for week one. They opened up at Fort Zumwalt West, so mm-hmm. that'll be that'll be a real big challenge for the for the Panthers. That Jackson squad's been on a roll, but but Zumwalt North is obviously much improved, obviously from week one, considering they gave up sixty three to to battle and then and then held them well under that this evening. Correct. It was uh yeah the as much as 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 much as they ran the ball, the defense was was lights out. I mean. They, their quarterback, Battles quarterback, went three for 13, was sacked four times, hit behind the line numerous times. You know, if it wasn't for Martin, Battle wouldn't have had any offense. So did Parker Monta get in on any of that action? He's been a huge part of that defense for Zumwalt North, led the state in tackles last year. Coach Bacon believes he broke the single-season record with, I think, 25 sacks. Was Parker Monta a big piece of that puzzle tonight? He had a. I I couldn't. Uh, I don't deter. I I don't have the exact number of tackles he had tonight, but I do know he did recover a fumble uh, in the fourth quarter or late in the third quarter. He recovered a fumble and he was in on at least one or two of those sacks as well. Wonderful. Well, thanks for checking in from Columbia, Paul. We appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks, Dave. I'm now joined by Joe Harris, who was out in Creve Corps watching the Big Fox DeSmet Class 6 semifinal. What was shaking out at your game tonight, Joe? A lot of, uh, lot of running. Uh, you know, the offensive and defensive lines for both teams were as advertised. They, uh, you know, all those units had times during the game where they imposed their will. And it was an old-fashioned, you know, three yards and a cloud of dust type of game. 
uh, a shorthanded DeSmet will get a chance to defend their title next week if they uh, pull off a 13-0 victory. So, like you said, the Spartans with a 13-0 win, but not some of their dudes around. Who was unavailable tonight? Uh, it, it, we'll start with uh, Dakota Doyle-Robinson. He was out. Jacoby Jackson was out. Carter Edwards was out. And Mac Markway uh, were the notables that were not on the field tonight for the Spartans. I talked to Coach Steeples after the game about those injuries. Uh, he was rather effusive in giving me any information. Uh about the types of injuries they were dealing with. We know, um, you know, Dakota left last game, last week's game against uh, uh, Francis Howell with an apparent leg, leg injury, but uh, Coach Steeples would only say that he expects maybe a couple of those guys back next week. He wouldn't tell me which ones, and he wouldn't, uh, you know, go into detail as, you know, as a shrewd coach would. He doesn't want to show his hand. Now, Coach Steeples knows very well the other team who they're going to see is is trying to see who'll be back, who might not be back as they make their plans. So the Spartans are going to try and keep their cards close to their vest as much as they can. But it sounds like their running backs were all available and much of their offensive line. Pretty impressive that Fox was able to to hold that DeSmet offense to just 13 points. Yeah, and... I, you know, I believe when we talked last week, I mentioned Luke Mazzoni, uh, yes. the linebacker for Fox. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. He not only did it at the linebacker position, but he also led the team in rushing tonight. Uh, he was really the only one that got anything going, and you know, he finished with like 60-plus yards. But uh, I thought it was interesting that Coach Stinker of Fox after the game said that Mazzoni probably played the best, one of the best games he's ever seen uh, tonight, and he credited his entire linebacker especially Luke, and the kid was all over the field. He played his heart out, and uh, you know it's one of the reasons why that game was so close. So, what was even shorthanded? Dismet's defense was able to to shut out Fox, who who I think you said off air had been averaging more than thirty points a game, and has really powered their opponent. They ground their opponents up with that power running game. I had Coach Tinker on last week on, as a guest on the show after their district championship game was 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 a forfeit win due to COVID. And I asked if he'd thrown the ball 10 times in a game, and he, he didn't think they had. Ground and pound is the way they go. What was DeSmet doing to keep Fox from, from scoring points and moving that ball? Well, Makai Wingo lived in the backfield at times, uh, blowing up plays. He does Donovan, that. He, yeah, he, you know, Makai was Makai. Um, and you know Donovan Whitfield really had a big game for DeSmet. He stopped Jihad Thompson on a fourth and two in the first half, and he also came up with a huge fumble recovery in the fourth quarter that really, uh, you know, stopped any kind of meaningful box comeback bit. So I saw that uh, quarterback Seth Marcioni had a rushing touchdown to to break the deadlock. It was nil nil, as they say in soccer, after the first quarter. What was the quarterback play like for the Spartans tonight? Uh, it was really tough because, I mean, it was a really gust, windy, gusty night. So they couldn't really get anything going in the passing game. Uh, so, you know, Marciani, even the score came on a broken play. Uh, you know, nothing came easy for Dismet tonight. Uh, on that drive, 
that was actually started by an interception from the defense that gave them the ball around midfield. They got a couple big runs from uh, Rico Barfield and Taj Butts, uh, and that, that got them down to the 10-yard line. Even at that point, a false start penalty drove the Smith back to the 11. It was third and 11. Broken play. Marcioni almost got sacked, ran out of a couple of uh, box defenders' grasp, and it, he just found a hole in the middle of the, the defense and, and found the end zone. So, I mean, even the touchdown was on a broken play, just really a heads-up play by Marcioni. And he credited his, his teammates, you know, his line, you know, uh, the blocking. Uh, they, he said it made it easy on him. And then uh, Butts, who finished with uh, over 100 yards rushing tonight, uh, came through with a one-yard run early in the fourth quarter. And when you get up by two scores on a team like Fox, who you mentioned, doesn't throw the ball, uh, you know, really at all. That's not their their identity. Uh, you know, that, that two-score game could have easily have been three or four scores, you know, because it takes Fox some time to, to score points. And they couldn't really get that ground game going. I mean, you mentioned the Fox offense. They came into this game averaging over 33 points a game. And, it, you know, you mentioned, Coach Tinker even said, I don't think I've ever thrown, they had 10 attempts of throwing the ball in the game. That's kind of unheard of in today's football. <laughs> but, you know, they only came up, according to my math, and put an asterisk on that, it's my math, only 179 total yards from scrimmage for the game. 70 in the first half. And that is a testament to this the front seven of this met. I mean, that Fox offense will have three guys either at a hundred yards rushing or close to it. And including quarterback Brock Inman. And they, uh, they didn't quite get there tonight. So DeSmet's going to play either Ray Peck or Liberty North in the Class 6 championship game next Saturday afternoon at Jefferson City High School. The games this year are not being played at Mizzou. They'll be played at Jefferson City High School, Helias High School, or Blair Oaks, which is located in Wardsville. So last season, uh, DeSmet in the semifinals beat Raymore Peculiar in a really kind of a game that got really chippy at the end. The score kind of got out of hand in DeSmet's favor. Ray Peck didn't take too kindly to that. Linnell Carr, DeSmet, uh, defensive lineman, linebacker, who ended up signing and and is currently at West Virginia, was ejected from that game in a very hotly contested play that had the DeSmet folks really upset. They thought the official missed the initial penalty that would have maybe changed the way they interpreted how Carr reacted because it was kind of a pushing shoving they said he punched somebody but it was an open hand and it turned into a real ugly kind of thing didn't affect the spartans who went out in one state but it could be interesting if they see uh raymore peculiar once again so joe thanks so much for everything we appreciate you checking on the podcast man thanks for having me dave it was fun And that's going to do it for this episode. Big thanks to St. Mary's football coach Ken Turner for joining the show. As always, we appreciate the contributions of Paul Kopsky, Paul Halfacre, Joe Harris, Ben Vessa, and Steve Overby. Until next week, stay safe, and we'll catch you later. (laughs) 